0: Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No, no purchase necessary. We're by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One in four Americans today, hard statistic, are on antidepressants. One in four. School shootings. The dissolving of gender boundaries, the dissolving of social economic classes, all these other things that are happening, right? If everybody just stopped right now, right fucking now, just stop what you're doing and reach up into the invisible space, the fourth dimension and began to stand and pull those things that you keep hidden down and speak your truth. The conditions of your life would change immediately. And what we need as a society is we need the truth and the truth sets us free.
1: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent 10 years on active duty as a SEAL with uh, SDV Team 1, which we're going to get into, uh, four years as a CIA contractor, and he's the CEO and founder of Heroes and Horses, who also uh, coincidentally has the nickname, not the nickname, the, uh, the last name that translates as one who is disapproved of or held in contempt in. Did you know that?
0: No, but it's uh, I I
1: welcome the name yeah. and I'm thankful for it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Micah Fink. It's also uh, how they say "think" in Eng- in England, right? It's like yeah. What do you think?
0: I always feel like I get all this mail, and it's like always says Micah Sink. Oh yeah. Yeah, which I um, I've kind of just adopted that. I don't try to change it anymore. I haven't yeah. corrected my name. I am just kind of like <laughs> okay with being called whatever.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> fucking classic. What uh, What's the favorite thing? in your life? Um,
0: You know, I feel like kind of at this point in my life, uh, I'm really been uh, going through what I call the great unlearning, Uh, you know, really with my work, with the foundation, uh, Heroes and Horses. uh, It's really become this great unlearning uh, where Um, kind of, uh, the dissolving of all the way that I've ultimately like looked at life and seen life through my own identity and experiences. And so it excites me. And then really learning, um, that ultimately, um, you know, there's something that we can do, uh, as a generation, if we are willing to take that step and look at ourselves for who we really are, that, uh we can create real change. And so that's what I'm really excited about. Of course, before that comes my family and you know, my five kids uh, and and the life that we live and what the ecosystem that we're building. So that's, that's what excites me the most. Are they uh, a a disparate age range? Like is there? Yeah, they're, uh, my youngest is eight months. Uh, Solari, I just, we just actually, uh, delivered her, uh, outside under the stars on the ranch, oh, shit. Uh, my wife, I, and a midwife and all the kids were there, observed it. Um, it was crazy. It was like raining. I was trying to hold this umbrella up. I had candles going and shit. Um, but, uh, and my oldest is 16. So oh. one boy and four girls. Yeah. is the boy the oldest? No, he's, uh, he's nine. Oh, okay. Motocross guy, rides horses, jiu-jitsu, yeah. broken leg right now.
1: <laughs> Which is the telltale sign of a good childhood if they've got a broken leg at some point. <laughs> yeah. Or that, that they're still fucking doing something. Exactly. What, uh, what's the last full book that you've read?
0: Um, I'm uh, actually just finishing a series of books um, right now. I just finished um, uh, The Kabalyon uh, by The Three Initiates. Um, and so that's the last full book that I just finished. Um, and on this trip, uh, reading another uh, kind of a book about archaeology uh, called The Lost Teachings of Atlantis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite childhood memory? Oh, man, you know, I had a wild childhood. Um, Is there one thing that stands out? Uh, yeah, let me think about it. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in the uh, – I always say that uh, at the time I had become – basically saved uh more times than any person in recorded history because my dad uh you know after um you know my dad you know went to prison and was a pretty rough dude uh became a revival preacher and so they got like a tent in the 80s and uh I remember being like a little kid having to scent the tent up all the time and there was like a blinking light And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if it's my favorite memory. Maybe that's my scariest memory. Uh, because at the end of every single weekend, I pretty much had gotten saved like nine times because they would bring you over the fire (laughs) and they'd hold you there. You know, you're like six or seven years old. They're like the worms and the demons and the things. Um, but actually growing up as a kid in upstate New York in a rural community, uh, and uh, living really the wild life of a child. I think all of those things combined are my favorite memories. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm going to take a, a quick break. I, I do want to let you guys know um, the way that you can support the show is to support our sponsors. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear ads, but uh, that's how I do what I do for a living. So uh, any support you can show for our gracious sponsors is much appreciated, and, again, it does uh, does support the show, so thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of depre- not kind of depressing, it's massively depressing to see the disparity between growing up in the 70s and 80s, even the 90s, versus the way kids are growing up now. Like, it's, uh, it's fucking sad. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's dark. Yeah. What uh, your morning routine, is, as far as uh, on a day when you're at home and, you know, it's just kind of a normal day, if that even fucking exists... What does your morning routine look like from the time you get up, say, for just the first few hours?
0: Yeah, so I live in a really rural area. Um, like I said, I have five kids, so my whole entire house is heated by wood. You know, I live in rural Montana. We got to negative 60 this year where I lived. Uh, what, what part? I live in Cardwell, so I live about 45 minutes outside of Bozeman. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. And I, uh, um, so I'll get up in the morning, usually like 4.30, stoke the wood stoves, uh, do some reading with my wife who gets up. Uh, and then I'll spend uh, uh, probably about like a half hour in just uh, quiet meditation. Um, and then uh, work out, cold shower, and then morning circle with my children. Uh, and then I get out with my day. What does the morning circle consist of? Um, it's kind of like uh, setting an intention for the day. Um, you know, I think that um, really like what happens is, is that we spend so much of our life living in the future. And, you know, people don't realize that the future is only a concept. It it, it doesn't exist. Um, You know, it's created by who we are in the present moment. And the present moment is created by the past. And so what happens is, you know, we create this predictable future, which we think by kind of recreating experiences from the past, but it becomes predictable future. We never like the outcomes. And so I always use the example like we have to be in the moment in the now. And so many people will say that and, you know, they don't really understand what that actually means, but the thoughts that you're having are creating conditions that then you later on experience, whether you know it or it's unwittingly happening. And so it's important to teach my children, like how to use their mind without their mind taking over and how to use their mind to create different conditions and being able to hold those conditions, uh, regardless of what's happening on the outside and kind of external circumstances. So, um, yeah. Every single morning starts with a morning circle. And so we do some like kind of do some breath and we do some focus and we set an intention and then each child will share something, uh, you know, for that they've learned from the day or whatever. And then they've got chores, you know, at, by by seven o'clock in the morning, they've already been outside working for 45 minutes before and we homeschool the kids. Yeah.
1: I uh, I think that's fucking awesome. It, could you provide uh, like an example of an intention that you would uh, set?
0: Yeah. So like, um, for instance, like, uh, take like judgment. Uh, so all judgment is self judgment, right? This is why we live in such a critical world because we think that so many people are judging us or looking at us or perceiving us in a certain way, because that's actually how we're perceiving ourselves. And so we assume that that's what people are thinking about us. And we outsource our joy and our happiness and our kind of equilibrium as people to other folks minds, which may or may not be happening. So for instance like the intention of the day could be like like I'm not going to judge anything. Okay? So that really starts with you. Um, an intention for the day would be like balance. Okay? I'm not going to I'm not going to overeat. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to take too much, right? I'm not I'm, I'm not going to Uh, sit in front of the screen for 10 hours or I'm not going to, you know, whatever that is. So things like balance, uh, things like harmony, things like uh, strength or courage. You know, what's lacking in society today is actually courage. It doesn't take courage to post something online. Um, You know, so many people think uh, they outsource all the power because somebody may have 60 million followers or they have this or they have that and they outsource power because you have money. And I always tell people, I'm like, money doesn't make people powerful. That's not why you should follow them. Money only gives you access to authority. And the more money you have, the more access to violent authority you have. But you don't have power. Real power is like, I don't know, take the leader of the free world, Joe Biden, put him in this room. Is he powerful? No, he's a geriatric, decrepit old person, right? That's never even lifted up a shovel. you Just walk over and just blow on him and he falls over but then we relinquish all our power under the illusion that they have something that we don't have. And we get tricked into a form of servitude. And then we build the systems that put us in deeper prisons uh, that are managed by our own minds.
1: What uh, do you get that deep in, in with your kids? Like, do you have those types of conversations? Yes. Yeah.
0: I've sat down, I sat down with my son, like, recently on the hill. My son, you know, he got a chainsaw for Christmas. He's a very hardy young man. He splits wood, and, I mean, he's responsible for all the wood stoves at the house and uh, feeding of feeding the livestock, drives a tractor. And he's nine? Yep. Yeah. And um, he's a young man. He's running the household right now. And uh, he cooks and does all the things. And, you know, I sat down on the hill with him, and I uh, we, we went up on the hill uh, recently, it was snowing out. We sat up there and, and I tell my kids how the world really is. Not in my idea, not in my perception. I tell them how it really is. Because the truth is, is that, you know, America is the new reservation, unfortunately. Um, and it's become that way. And we were, being t- we we're being tricked into killing ourselves with our own mind. We're being tricked into destroying our own society with our own thoughts. And my children are not going to participate in that system, um, because it is a system. And uh, we have to begin to live in a different way, which means we have to have courage to change, to stand. because, you know, my question is like, you know, my son looks at me as a former soldier or whatever. And, and everybody will say, "That's a warrior." And what I've come to realize is that we made a transition as a society from being warriors to being killers and historically warriors um, fought for all life and for the earth. That's what, that our mother, you know, people can say, Oh, you're like a hippie or whatever. Well then, you know, come on over here to this room and then I'll show <laughs> you something different. Um, you know uh, this is our mother, right? We drink from her breasts, right? She grows our food. We get life. We live from her, right? But we're abusive. And warriors fought for, for, the, for the life-giving force of the planet, and they fought for, uh, they fought for freedom, and they fought for uh, justice, right? But now um, we've kind of traded this to be killers. And, um, and, and I'm trading you know, my, my children and my son to be a warrior, and a warrior doesn't follow orders. He follows his own heart. And uh, never before in society have we had a time where the strong men have gone off to wars, directed by the weak men who have never spilled blood, men who have never been in battle, people who have never been in fights. And um, and I'm not going to teach my you know children to do that. They're going to fight for the things that actually. Uh, are necessary to go and potentially even lose your life for. Um, and that's what a warrior is. and it, and you know it's uh it's not the clothes you wear or even the titles that you've had. It's you know, it's what you stand for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem is is that we need warriors right now. We need warriors, right? We don't need more. Stuff We don't need more things, you know? It's like, it's like Monopoly. Houses and cars, utilities, you know? You screw over granny, you fuck over your sister, you take all their stuff, everyone's crying, and you win. Game is acquisition. But at the end of the game, what happens? It all goes back in the box. And what are we handing over to the next generation? They get the box take it all out and try to get as many cars as they can collect as many things as we can and right now this is to me the age of the warrior we need warriors and i look and i look and i look and my work with the veterans and all the things like just because you're a veteran doesn't mean you're a warrior it's a different thing and so um that's kind of like what i'm really focusing on with my children because i realize that my impact on the world will happen from my willingness to do work in my own heart and then through my children and then into the world that's the that's the legacy that we need as a as as a unified species humans and i think we're missing it i think we need to sit and talk with the kids we don't need to we don't need to like you know shield them from all of the things we need to speak truth to them because you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free from yourself. Do you, uh, do they ever ask you about your
1: time uh, in the military and on the transverse? Do you ever struggle with um, not necessarily things that you've done, but like on a, on a principled level, you know, I mean, everything that you just said, I, I don't disagree with it. Um, and similarly, like having spent 12 years in the military and been overseas and fought wars for those same types of people, when I think about, the age I was when I was doing what I was doing, how I feel about it. Now there's a pretty big fucking contrast. Um, <laughs> do you struggle with that at all? Do you, how do you reconcile what you've done and how you feel about it now? Do, do you think about that a lot? Do you explain it to them?
0: Well, when, obviously when it was going on, I was basically a caveman. I mean, to be completely honest with you, I didn't really even care who I was fighting. I'd basically come up fighting my whole life. It's like, like full Viking full Viking. I mean, I came up fighting. I came up from, you know, even though my dad, you know, I'd become ai came from a lineage of really tough guys. And I'm like, you know, like I just did. My grandfather was in prison for 10 years. Like these were tough people, blue collar, alcoholics, violence, all the things that's been changed. Um, but it was in my blood. So I was boxing, fighting fist fight. I mean, you just name it. I've been fighting my whole life. And so when I was at the world trade centers on nine 11, My natural propensity was to like, want to go and like hurt other people over it. And that was it. And it was like, I didn't really care who it was. I mean, if I was to be completely honest, the only thing I wanted to do was do it. That was my biggest gripe in the military was like, I pretty much just wanted to be on deployment all the time and never come back which is not realistic. You know, you got to go to training (laughs) and all the things. But like, I mean, because I was just there to fight. I just wanted to fight. And now when I look back, you're absolutely right. My perspective has changed. People say perception is reality. But when people say that, they're wrong. Because reality is reality. And perception is the lens in which you're seeing reality through. And so as time went on, um, you know all of the things, like not to go on the war story thing, but like especially when you get over into kind of like you know the the, the CIA contractor world and all those kind of things, your perspective begins to really shift. Mm-hmm. And you know I always use this example. Right now, somewhere there's an airplane of uh, young American troops, uh, and they're at church right now, and everybody in let's say Georgia's. Um, praying for them and bring them home safe and you know kill the enemy and defend us and bring us home and you know all these you know defending the nation and all the things right kill the bad guys and everyone in the church is cheering them on and so Johnny and all his guys they board on the helicopter and everyone's waving the flags and they get on the airplane and they fly 5,000 miles away from our coast and then over 5,000 miles away Muhammad or whoever wakes up in the morning and he's facing east and praying five times a day seven kids, wife, farmer, small ranch, goes to the mosque, parada call happens. They do the prayer, family comes around, they pray, please bring our dad home safe. They pray to God, you know, their God, whatever, uh, to protect them from the invaders. And so that airplane lands, and this other individual heads out into the battlefield. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, who's right? Who's right? See, it's I kill, you kill, I kill, you kill, I kill. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So like, would they be a terrorist if I wasn't there? Well, you killed my neighbor. I've never hurt a person in my life, but now I want to get them back because I'm taking care of their family and I'm angry, right? Now we have another terrorist. He doesn't, they don't like us, right? This is indicative of the whole world right now. So, you know, there's an apocalypse happening. I use the word apocalypse and people, they kind of get like rattled up and they think this kind of like an esoteric kind of thing of an apocalypse. Well, what's an apocalypse? It's the death of systems. It's a dissolution of, of gender, of race, economics, complex political systems, environmental processes. They're falling apart. And our answer is to kill our way out of it. It's not going to work because what's going to happen is it's a two-headed snake. And that's what we're beginning to feel in North America. You ride through, you go to Philadelphia right now, it's an apocalypse. Why? There's tens of thousands of people dying in the streets, covered in sores. You go to Baltimore, it's an apocalypse. 150,000 veterans have killed themselves since 2005 in a war where 7000 died what about their kids what happens to them it's an apocalypse it is an apocalypse so like america's there but what's happening is because we live on a postage stamp we think it's not happening and so we wait some, for some arbitrary event to come out of nowhere like that's when I'll know it's here well ladies and gentlemen it's fucking here It's here. It's in the borders. It's in our nation. It's in the streets. Look at the fentanyl deaths. Look at the education. Kids graduating sixth grade reading levels in North America. Okay, what does this pencil out into? Warriors. We need warriors. We don't need businessmen. We need people that are willing to stand up and to get together and be like, what are we passing off to the generation change of command imagine if the military was like we run the world oh change of command and they change the command they give it to the next commander and he walks in there and everyone's like shooting fentanyl shitting in the corners or wearing like wigs and they're like fighting with each other and everyone's on social media like hanging out like here you go buddy how's that going to work out so I think that this is the time where the revolution, you know, people talk about revolution and everyone gets like, Oh no revolution. They think civil war, like shooting each other out. And you know, I don't know. The revolution is a thought revolution. We have to begin to think differently. It's not a violent revolution. Violence is not going to work. Maybe it could spill into that one day. Who knows? But what I'm saying is like a thought revolution And, and that's ultimately like what I've been focusing my life on because what I've done in the military, what I did whatever, there's guys that have done light years more than I've ever done. But what I've learned is that like, we can't kill our way out of these problems and we have to create, you know, our thoughts create conditions and we have to create new conditions by how we think, because everything in our life is a thought first. And we have to begin to take ownership of our own minds and then act different.
1: So is everything that you just said uh, something that you would discuss with your kids?
0: Like absolutely. Yeah. I sat down with my son. Like I sat down with my son and I said, "Son, I'm going to tell you how the world is." Yeah.
1: What uh, What is his response to that? Like how, how does he uh, react when you tell When you tell him that?
0: He wakes up every morning, runs two miles alone down a ranch wor- road in freezing cold weather. Um, he reads. He prepares himself. Taught him how to fight, how to have a hard body. Doesn't eat junk food. Doesn't watch TV. My kids don't have iPads. Do you 17 year old daughter, I have a TV, yeah. My, uh, there's a reason why it's called television. Most people mm-hmm. don't know that. It's called Television. a vision and it channels and programs information to you. And then you act it out because you don't have control of your mind. You know, If people realize that every single thing on this plane a third dimensional plane is a thought first. So if everybody starts thinking things are bad, things are bad, things are bad. What happens? Things are bad. You go to a doctor, they got a white coat on. Yeah, hey, you never seen this you know person before in your life. They sit down and they're like, oh, trouble sleeping. And you're like, yeah, a little bit. Oh, we got some of this. Oh, yeah, a little bit. You got PTSD. You're like, what? Like you have PTSD. You're like, I do? Really? I've never heard of that. You have PTSD. I do? You leave, guess what you got? PTSD. Thanks for the gift. Every person in the world has PTSD. Life is supposed to be difficult or there would be nothing to learn. There's nothing to learn. If you came here and nothing happened, utopia, you would never know what you are. You would never know what you are. You would be standing there like there would be nothing to see. So it's like I sat down with my son and my daughter's in there. My 17-year-old daughter, she doesn't have a cell phone either. There's a flip phone by her own choice because they're living in a different way. Now people may say, like, you know, that's extreme. I'm like, okay, well, how extreme does it got to get where you kind of realize, like, what we're doing right now? Human beings are at the end of the genetic developmental processes of ourselves because we've merged with electronic prostheses that control every aspect of our life so it's like a it's like a human machine symbiosis merger and so we sit there and order food in our house 300 pounds 44 percent of americans are dying of obesity 690 million people globally are starving and we're sitting there we're coming to the end of our genetic developmental processes because now machines are taking over I'm talking about like ChatGPT telling you like it wants to kill people or whatever. Bring it on, ChatGPT! I I dare you. (laughs) I'll just be like, just won't make any more oil. Oh, you broke down. But you know, we have to. uh, You know, so we have because we're not thinking our own thoughts. Thoughts create conditions, and we are thinking the thoughts that we are essentially slave. We are we are in slavery as thought generating manifestors. That's what it is. So, you, as a Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is bad. So it is. I look at the mountain. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Wow. Somebody else looks at the mountain and says, Man, if I go up there, there's like grizzly bears. And what if I die in an avalanche? So it is. Same mountain. What's changed? So, like, the, everybody collectively is thinking these. They don't realize that they're living and creating their own experiences. They're literally creating the experiences so that they can move through them to set themselves free from the prison they've created for their own self. Do you... Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt. Is or something else? No, I mean, like, whatever. I don't know. I'm, like, off the deep end, like, pretty much in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> well, uh,
1: I mean, to me, it's... It- it builds a lot of uh, backdrop and context to how, a how you live your life now and be uh, and most importantly I think you know the the output that you have in the veteran community with the program that you're running and, and changing guys lives and how important that is so I, I you know I, I think it's important to hear your perspective on all that stuff um, are, are talks like that things that you prescribe to um, you know the students that come through your course do you, do you Uh, you know have have discussions like that with them
0: I assume yeah so the program uh essentially people you know people hit me up all the time they're like they want to create a program just like it or this and that and they are always like surprised by my answer which is like I'll tell you everything I know because I don't want anything (laughs) I don't even care if you say you got it from me I don't care I'm, I'm thinking like, what am I handing off to, to the next generation? That's what I'm thinking all the time. It's not about me. The world needs less me and more we. Well, okay, so I, so essentially I created the organization to heal myself from my own wounds, looking back. That's what it was. What I needed didn't exist and I created. I just so happened to be the type of person that was able to take other people along with me. Um, and so today the program's 41 days long. So to get to a person where they're going to be able to be receptive to the reality of what is, right? So like there's a gap between what you suppose things should be and what really is, right? The reality on the ground, they'd say in the military, or what you suppose it should be. Well, the gap in between that creates anxiety, fear, worry, all these things come from that gap, what you suppose it should be or want it to be and what it really is. So to get to where people are receptive, you have to, they have to essentially embark on the hero's journey. So they have to dissolve all these kind of aspects um, that create these kind of anchors in their life which prevent them from personal growth. So it's 41 days of no hot showers, 41 days of cold plunges, 41 days of sauna, 41 days of breath work and meditation, five to 600 miles on their horses every day starts at four thirty in the morning there's only meat and vegetables water and black coffee there's nothing else there's no cell phones so the first two weeks it's digital detox um they live in a tent sleep on the ground they build fires they chop wood they walk 80 90 miles to meals spend 17 days in the wilderness and they'll go through two lakota uh, purification ceremonies in in an anipi wakan which is a sweat lodge um and uh they'll go through those things and then there's a 41 day course like you could say it's a philosophy course we call it the maxim lab i'm completely opposed about putting information into people i do not believe it works i think that you have to awaken the wisdom which is inside of each one of us that's what has to happen you know we are constantly getting shit shoved into our heads And you know, we think somebody's smart because they've know a bunch of, they've memorized a bunch of information, right? Oh, you go and you get a four-year degree. And you're like, oh, that person has a four-year degree. I don't, they must know more than me. No, they've gotten a business license to work in that capacity. That's it, that's all it is. It's an authorization to work with a liberal arts degree, right? Now go to a call center and make 40 grand a year so you can pay off your $150,000 loan, slavery, right? go to your office, prison, do what you're told. And by the way, don't say anything mean about anybody. <laughs> right? Okay. Yay. Freedom. I'm so free. So, um, but to get people to a place where they're ready to realize that they're the one they've been looking for. All right. There's not some kind of like Calvary coming. It's us. It's you. It's me. Right. It's a people listening. You're the one you're looking for. This outside idea that like some kind of, you know, self-proclaimed like is gonna come like save us and the red team or the blue team's gonna win and they're gonna save us. Well, if you look at the eagle, it's one head with two wings, wings of the same bird, right? So we're the ones. Well, the individual shows up and they're constant American veteran. The state of the American veteran is in a total apocalypse. I don't care what you see on Instagram. I don't care, you know, guys that are selling you whatever, like they got businesses. I'm telling you right now, it is a disaster. It it is a disaster. I've been doing this for nine years. I've read thousands and thousands of applications. You are not doing good if you're taking 10 psych meds a day and you don't work. You're obese, you live in a trailer, and you're sitting there, you know, waiting for your subscription to come to the mailbox and standing around for a paycheck because you were a Marine in 2006. You are not doing good.
1: I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him, and his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with, and uh, you know the the Bubs brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen uh, collagen powder as well as MCT oil powder, um, you know, but they also give back to the Glen Doherty Memorial Foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glen Doherty Memorial Foundation, which uh, you know to me just furthers. Uh, you know, the, the mission set on Veterans Day, they give 100% back. So uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee. The MCT oil powder, the same thing. It uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great. Uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from joint support, gut support. Um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as, as we age, uh, that are integral components to uh to health and so uh to be able to work with bubs naturals and uh, be able to to work with them and, and sponsor a product that uh number one is a high quality product and number two is is so near and dear to uh you know to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for for who it uh, was started for and what it stands for um you know it's just uh, it's an amazing amazing place to be so um it is whole 30 approved um it's uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that, um, you know, right now they're, they're offering uh, 20% <clears> twenty percent <throat> off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to, to try it out, incorporate it into your day, day-to-day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health. And, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bubb's honor. So uh, go to bubsnaturals.com. Mike drop is the code, 20% off. All right, guys, as you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, coffee is a, has been a staple of mine and, and I think most people's for a long time. Um, as you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Mudwater, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been uh, for a while now, and, and we have a great partnership I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Uh, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of the caffeine that coffee has. There's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on, on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use Lion's Mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness, and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee, and I'll put uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder. Um, and I also throw uh, usually a couple drops of uh, stevia or uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick normal morning coffee ritual type of uh, concoction. And uh, I gotta tell you it, it, it does wonders for me and, and I'm really, really glad that I switched. It's been you know a better part of a year now uh, you know that I've been taking that. Uh, and using that as part of my uh, daily morning routine, and it's fantastic. I love it. I, I can't re- recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100% USDA uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is uh, you know groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and in, in, uh, syndromes. So. Uh, great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's M U D W T R dot com forward slash Mike to su- support this show and the product, uh, and use the code Mike Mud, M I K E M U D, all caps for 15% off. That's again, Mudwater, M U D W T R dot com forward slash Mike, and the code is Mike Mud, M I K E M U D, all caps for 15% off. Go check them out. Do you know uh, even ballpark what the percentage of veterans are that that kind of fall into that apocalypse category?
0: Um, my estimation would be, um, and remember, there's really there's uh, there's three kinds of lies, right? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. Right? <laughs> All right, so <laughs> shout out to my buddy Jay Lap, who always says that he's a amazing guy, twenty year Marine, amazing guy. Um, But that's the truth. But so uh, my estimation is close to probably around 70%. um, Because uh, if you look at the institutions, and I can take the internal statistics from all the people that have ever applied, I had a guy who um, last year was on 32 pills, I had another guy that was on 17 pills a day, and another guy that was on 13 last year. In fact, like,
1: is that, is that a mixture of like pain meds, psych- psychiatric meds, fucking? Mm-hmm.
0: Most of them are like, psych, so, so you know, because people will tell you, oh, a lot of guys will say, I got this for a headache, right? And you look at it and it's not for headaches. Um, but no, a lot of them are psychotropic, psychiatric type medications. Now, one of the first things you do when you get accepted into the program is you enter into the communication strategy. So our communication strategy, basically, the, day, the, the application itself is like, it's very difficult to fill out. Some guys, so it takes some weeks. Um, it's probably like 50 questions. I think, um, they're very in depth and an interesting thing we send out to the guys is that you're not gonna, you're not gonna, this isn't going to work if you don't get off the shit period. Is that a requirement that they don't take? So them? what we do is I'm not about putting information into people and telling them what I think you should do. You have to have your own thoughts. You're your own person. You have your own perceptions, other things you have to undo you. I'm undoing me. Well, we send out like a new video, a great video just came out. I'm trying to, I think his name is Dr. Newton, um, peer reviewed Harvard PhD and chemist uh, and PhD in psychiatry. You know, there's been a 30 year study that was conducted on the use of SSRIs, serotonin uptake inhibitors, antidepressants, anti-anxieties, anti-psychotropics. The whole idea of Zoloft, the first drug to ever come out, was never... Ever proven, it was a hypothesis written in 1967 that was taken by the pharmaceutical companies and they made a commercial. And the commercial had a little gray blob that's bouncing down the road. It's powerful marketing. The blob is like the saddest little fat little blob with no arms and legs. And he's just like totally bumped. And he's just like boing, boing, boing. And then a little bluebird comes along. (whistles) Comes along and he sees a little blob and he lands on him. That's so loved. One in four Americans today, hard statistic, are on antidepressants. One in four. School shootings, the dissolving of of gender boundaries, right? The dissolving of social economic classes, anxiety, all these other things that are happening, right? One in four. All right. Well, he's like, it's never been observed that that's what it even does so they've studied it for 30 years what it does do is make you suicidal and depressed do
1: you know the the chemistry behind that like not i mean not to get too far in the
0: well the idea was that serotonin the more serotonin that you have is that you're happy that happier that you are right and like uh you know it's like uh so You know they believe that uh, there's chemical processes that block you from that and blah 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 but what it is is the perception they've done if you will get a chance to go on after school and look and look up the uh uh anti-depression myth video with this doctor you'll get really heavily into the chemistry and we send out this type of information and there's um, tons of information on this stuff and we let the person decide but the truth is if you're applying to come to this program what you're doing in your life is not working yeah. it's failing and the truth is every 64 minutes a veteran kills himself in north america this morning a veteran killed himself a friend of mine reached out before this podcast last week another guy in one year lost the eighth guy out of his unit to suicide okay the dead are dead and that can't be undone the past can never and never will ever ever never be altered ever so that's over. We, have, we don't have to like it, but we have to accept it. Okay. But what about the living dead? The warriors. These are the ones that can rise up and we can live in a different way. The power of the good mind. Einstein was asked the question, ideas and opinions. He said, um, he said, what is the most important natural law? And he said, the law of compounding. And like, what's the law of compounding? You start thinking about that. Start reading about it. What's happening right now is what he was saying: is society has entered into a reverse explosion. It's an explosion in reverse. So an implosion. An implosion. That's what we're experiencing right now: an implosion. And if you are blocking your consciousness. I'm sorry, but you're not going to get there. Yeah. Uh, so, from uh, I
1: guess from a protocol standpoint, do you guys have hard hard lines in place where, like, hey, if, if you're accepted to this, you can't bring medication, you can't be on that shit while you're here, or or is it?
0: You, I Listen, mean, I wish I could do that, but I would probably get sued, and some you know which would didn't even care because I wouldn't answer the letters because I don't care. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, you, you got to speak the truth. The the truth is, listen. You'll be put in jail today for your ideas. I understand that. So it's like they'll put you in. And they will put you in jail for your own ideas. All right, just ideas. You don't have to do anything. Ideas. So um, what happens is is we we really do an amazing job, I believe, leading up to it, where the majority of guys work with their care providers, even though they push back on them because they're drug dealers. Yeah. Um, A lot of guys say, Hey man, I don't, uh, don't use any street drugs. And then they will be on 18 pills. And you're like, what's the difference? You should start smoking weed and get off all that stuff. (laughs) Like, I mean, if, come on, dude, do the street drugs, by the way, it like grows over there next
1: to a palm tree (laughs) under under that pile of cow shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's wild. Um, I I definitely want to get more into, uh, your program, but I would like to cover a little bit of your, your backstory, uh, in the interim. From upstate New York, uh, grew up in in kind of a rough scenario. Can you kind of uh, synopsize what your childhood was like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, I have an amazing mom and dad um, who, you know, my dad was a real hard ass. He was an amazing guy, Uh, still is a great guy, but he's a real hard ass. He had a tough life. He grew up uh, seven brothers and sisters. Um, Grandfather was a mob guy. And, uh, you know, he went, did a hard time in prison, real hard time. Like Italian mob? Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, <clears throat> so he did 10 years. Nobody knows why. He never talked. And then he got out and became the head of the conductor's union for the railroad oh. when he got out. <laughs> uh, never went to school. He was an orphan. Oh. Um, and so uh, amazing guy. Taught himself how to like read and write and all the things. Uh, do math and all. A smart guy. And, um, yeah, my father uh, obviously grew up in that. And went to, uh, you know, got drafted into Vietnam uh, because he was facing some some tough things, and had kind of had a choice, (laughs) and uh, yeah, my dad, uh, you know, in the late '70s, after kind of getting out of uh, getting out of prison, you know, he uh, became a Christian, and before
1: you go (coughs) past
0: that, um, he
1: he, uh, volunteered or was drafted. You said drafted. Well was a go to prison or yeah yeah Yeah. what uh, what branch did he go into Uh, he was 82nd airborne oh shit um did did he talk about his experiences in vietnam much or was he he didn't go
0: oh okay he went to prison oh no shit so instead of going Mm -hmm. he made it through jump did all the things and did all the stuff and then wound up uh um you know he was tied up in the big biker uh it was heavy times yeah back then and so he was uh you know, my dad, it's interesting because his, uh, you know, hearing the stories about growing up, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, we grew up, uh, people would be like, couldn't believe that my dad had become like a pastor, right? Um, because to say that my dad back then in those days was violent is an understatement, okay? And I'm a real tooth in his head. They've all been knocked out with hammers. He's got 190 stitches across the top of his head, okay? Like you know, Rough, rough, rough. And But actually what it was, it was like really like, he needed, he needed direction and guidance for those. energy. those are powerful gifts, right. But they're just misdirected. And so, um, yeah, so he, yeah, was a jump guy and got certified and all the things. And then, uh, you know, when he got out, he was, he was pretty lost and ended up, um, you know, I don't, I you know, I don't want to marginalize his experience to say like he saw the light or whatever, but you know, he became, became a Christian. What did he go to prison for? Uh, uh, I think he was moving, um, uh, drugs with, um,
1: it's <laughs> the fucking movie. What's the uh movie with Denzel Washington, I think, where they're bringing heroin from uh
0: uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, you know, it's interesting because I look at my dad and I'm like, I I wouldn't my dad is like such a great mentor to me, though I didn't always see eye to eye. I left home really young. I left home, you know, basically 15 and then by 16 I was gone and I've been on my own ever since. Um, it, those were hard times, you know, and for me and, and he was still kind of figuring out his own life, even though, you know, you had all the, the Christianity and stuff, but I wouldn't change one thing. He's been a great mentor to me. And you know what? My dad's always, he's a stand up dude. He is a stand up guy. And there's not a lot of those men left. So one thing I did learn, like from a very young age, um, was a stand up. Didn't matter about being popular. It was never about that. You stood up. It didn't matter if there was fifty people. It didn't matter. You stood up. Yeah. and uh, that's one of the greatest lessons I ever learned from him.
1: That's a powerful lesson, no doubt about it. And I couldn't agree more. Like to say that they don't make them like they used to uh, is an <laughs> understatement too. I mean, it's a, it's beyond a dying breed. They're they're bordering on extinct. Do you remember him being in prison? Like, was he in prison when you were a young kid or a, a teenager or, or what was No, the so
0: I was born in 79. So he, I think he got out in like 76. Okay. Um, and so, you know, right before my sister was born. And uh, so I don't remember that, but like, you know, you kind of carry that. You know, my dad was, uh, you know, my dad was in solitary confinement. I mean, he was, uh, he was a rough dude. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that has an impact on you. You don't just like snap back from that. Yeah um but he did he's a resilient guy and he became uh, uh an engineer in the railroad and uh started driving trains and then i think in 1983 is when he like left that rail or 1985 is when he left the railroad and started uh becoming a pastor yeah
1: so the the majority of your childhood you knew him as a,
0: as a pastor father yeah, I was terrified of him. But yeah, yeah.
1: Was he rough even as a pastor physically? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he got
0: his tattoos. Where he had like Jesus smoking weed in his his <laughs> like tattoo tattooing his hands, you know, he's like, yeah. he, listen, I don't, you can look in a person's eyes and you can tell, you can feel it. You can feel it. I mean, when you're a kid and somebody comes up to you and is like, that's your father. yeah. I knew him. He like bit a dude's nose off and like <laughs> beat him with an ax hand. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like six, like with like a Spider-Man lunchbox. Like, and of course my dad's like, you know, don't live that way. But the only yeah. thing I thought was, that's, that's how I want so to cool. Yeah. <laughs> did you, uh, did you have just a sister or did you have more? So just a sister. Yeah. yeah. What was your mom like growing up? My mom is the complete antithesis of my dad. Yeah. She was like, Mrs. Like shoe shoe and like, you know, Um, but she grew up, my grandfather was a world war II vet, um, and he served in Korea, um, as well, uh, in the Navy and, uh, went on to GM and, you know, became a big time executive with them. It was like a VP of all their overseas sales. And, um, but she, she grew up in total opposite my, they had, they owned these bars and my grandmother was a big drinker and partier and they had seven brothers and sisters too. So they lived like upper middle class affluent, but chaotic. Um, and so my dad and mom have been together since 15 and 16. Wow. Uh-huh. Did you play sports growing up? Nope. Just f- fought a lot? I boxed. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was a big boxer. Uh, so I grew up outside of Catskill, New York. Mike fact. Tyson. Uh, Same gym Michael I learned Woods. to box. Oh, shit. Same gym Mike learned in. That's wild, man. Mm-hmm. Um, my claim to fame is I was a sparring partner for a period of time for Ray Mercer. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, growth spurt-wise, like, were you – did. Were you a, a big kid growing up, or, or was it like one of those from freshman to sophomore year I kind of had, like, foot? tits up until I was, like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> probably, like, until I was, like, maybe, like, 12. I was always outside in the woods, and I was into hunting and fishing. I grew up, you know, there were 600 people in my town, so I grew up very rural. Um, I was into I know riding my bike and those kind of things. Sports were not a big thing. I played basketball, um, not really officially, um, but I – uh i was just i was into boxing yeah like i've been pretty much boxing the most of my life yeah Mm
1: -hmm. in junior high and high school like was there a growth spurt where you shot up or were you always kind of a big kid
0: i grew. i I like probably when i was like 14 i started getting really big yeah it sprouted a little bit of a mustache or everything and then i started uh you know uh i worked uh i started working at 10 years old on a dairy farm oh really and then uh and then I became, started working for a family that owned a line company. And that's how I became a telephone pole lineman, climber. Sure. Yeah, yep. that's cool.
1: Yep. Did, uh, did the growth spurt impact your boxing style significantly? Uh,
0: huh. Yeah, I think it like slowed me down, to be honest with you. Um, and I just was on and off, you know, with boxing. I wish I had been more consistent, but I, uh, to be honest with you, like my, you know, initially my family, like in the early years was very poor. Like we lived, all lived in the same bedroom uh, of an old house, like and and so, you know, I couldn't play football because my mom, they didn't have money to, uh, for the gas yeah. to drive me, and so that's really why I didn't get to do those things. Boxing is like a sport where you show, up, like in the old school boxing gyms, like in Casco, if you show up and you're willing to like get in there, you're it's free. No shit. Yeah, like you're not paying like a membership you know you go to places like philly you go to places like baltimore places you know where guys like bernard hopkins are from or geronte dave whoever these guys That it's a thing where you're not in there paying like a 395 dollar membership you know and getting all this gear and all this stuff you go in there and you got to be able to fight do you think davis is going to beat garcia this weekend I think that's an interesting matchup, to be honest with you, like stylistically, you know, Gervonta Davis fights like with a Philly shell style and uh, um, uh, Ryan Garcia fights really open and, you know, they say, oh, he only, you know, he only has one punch, all this kind of stuff. I think, uh, but if he hits you with that, it's, it's really, he has a weird way of throwing it. And so I think like Gervonta Davis is smart enough to stay away from it. But to be honest with you, I think I think Davis is the better boxer. Yeah. So if he can box him and not get into a, a throwing match where they're winging punches, which sometimes that happens because of you know ego or whatever, and you're trying to show your toughness and all this kind of stuff, and you get caught with it's the punches yeah. that you don't see that knock yeah. you out. I think uh, very similarly to Floyd, um,
1: and I think he'll do that same thing exactly what you're talking about. He, he's smart mm-hmm. enough to know how to take you into deep water and fucking drown you you
0: yeah it's boxing is like i look at mma guys you know i always laugh because it's like dude like mma like they like there's no like standing eight count or whatever you get tapped out it's kind of boxing the guy is like you know his eyes are crossed he's on roller skates and like you good he's like yeah i'm great like i'm perfect yeah It
1: it would be cool if uh if in mma they would kind of Especially with the TKO stuff, like, yeah. you know, maybe give, give them a, a second chance. I don't know, maybe not.
0: Maybe. I think so, because I think, like, you know, uh, those kind of, you know, punching each other out like that, like, you can you can recover from that and get up, especially with training and your neck muscles, your jaw muscles and all the things. And I think it's, like, kind of a disservice when they call it too yeah. soon. For sure when
1: they call it too soon. I guess in, in thinking of it, I do like the the absoluteness of – like if you get finished you're getting fucking finished and you don't get another chance you know so yeah. I, I think there is there's a purity in that that I, you know boxing coming from the roots that it did it was more of the gentleman thing and it's like okay i knocked you down i'm gonna give you a chance to get up whereas mma is a little more brutish and, and savage like which i can appreciate i guess but yeah but uh anyway, do not not to get too far off but uh, what, what was the the trigger mechanism with which you decided holy fuck i want to join the navy and become a seal like when did that happen
0: yeah. Well, I had been, uh, so basically, you know, kind of rolled out at 16 and I was on my own, um, on, on purpose or by choice. Yeah. By choice. I just kind of organized religion for me and all those kind of things. And it was a strict rule, uh, you know, the, kind of the way I lived and, um, you know, by the time I was 15 years old, I was basically, I'd already kind of become my own man. Um, I had spent you know summers working in New York city on a line crew. I was, a uh, kind of already going down the wrong path, I guess you could say, you know, the wrong path. I don't even know what that path is, but it was the wrong one apparently. (laughs) And I went down it. Um, and, um, and so I lived on my own, uh, you know, there was a point, uh, where I was, uh, homeless, uh, um, not for long, but I was, uh, it was rough. You know, I was like knocking off street people, like robbing them for food. Like I was stealing my food. I mean, it was rough. I was in trouble and
1: ladies and gentlemen, I want to take a quick minute to talk about our sponsor manscaped Uh, spring has sprung and our good friends at manscaped uh, have the best tools for some spring cleaning. Uh, They've already helped us tidy up the nooks and crannies of your body's basement, but this year manscaped can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new beard hedger pro kit uh, make sure you look your best this spring by using the code MICDROP to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. That is MICDROP is the code for 20% off and free shipping. Um, in terms of taming your mane, I will say as, as a uh, possessor of beards, um, you know, this product is a, a phenomenal product for a number of reasons. Number one, the quality, uh, it's very, very well built and you, you get that impression the second that it's in your hand. Uh, The battery seems to last forever on it, which uh, for me is convenient because I travel a fair bit and it's nice to be able to take it and not have to worry about bringing the charger and all that shit. Um, It's got 20 different haircutting lengths, which, uh, you know, for those of you with the big Fu Manchu or, um, you know, the uh, Mike Beltran referee style uh, uh, beard, you know, you you have uh, a lot of different options. Uh, In terms of the quality of materials, there's titanium-coated T-blades. Uh, it's tough on hair, but it's it is really smooth on your face. I mean, you can still trim uh, your undercarriage even with the beard uh, beard dev- uh, beard hedger, and and uh, still not have any problems, which I can certainly appreciate. Uh, the kit also comes with some liquid goods. It got uh, beard shampoo and conditioner, uh, which if you don't want to look like the Unabomber and you just rolled out of bed with shit spraying uh, every which which direction, uh, that shampoo and conditioner uh, can certainly hook you uh, hook you right up. Uh, the beard oil also. Uh, does a good job at uh, giving you that silky smooth finish that, uh, all the ladies love and dudes sometimes, let's be honest. Uh, and the beard balm is a, a kind of a pomade style if you want to get really crazy with it, uh, which, uh, you know, certainly plenty of, uh, plenty of folks do. So, uh, it's got, uh, eucalyptus, rosemary, lavender, essential oils, uh, infused into it, uh, makes you smell, uh, exactly how you want to smell when, uh, when you're grooming up your beard. So, um... The Beard Hedger uh, Pro Beard Kit also comes with three gifts, which is a brush, a comb, and scissors, to ensure that your beard is ready to impress. So uh, again, I want to I want to say that uh, Manscaped's been great to us. I use their product uh, most days, and uh, it's you know been been a very very good staple uh, part of my routine for uh, for all my grooming needs, and that's top to bottom. So twenty uh, percent off code Mike Drop which is 20% off and free shipping at manscape.com. Again, that code is Mike drop all one word. Thank you much. Were you in touch with your parents at that point at all? No, so, I didn't talk to them for years. Really? Yeah. So was it, was there a, a catalyst that you're just like, all right, that's the straw that broke the camel's back. Fuck this. I'm out of here and left.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd gotten into, uh, my buddy, I'd gotten into some like real legit trouble. Um, it was like a really I guess you could say it was probably like a really bad day uh, <laughs> I go into the details but it was a bad day I, I'd love to hear the details I think, <laughs> I think the, the listeners would love to hear Listen, the details it's
1: a, with that fucking I, I, shit eat and grin I yeah.
0: don't even think I've ever even like I rarely tell that story but it was just it was like kind of I had moved out I was like living in the hood with a bunch of my friends and all of them were troublemakers I was working in New York City at the time uh, I dropped out of school, um, you know, doing all the things, selling drugs, getting fights like constantly, like, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I ended up the morning started where i had walked out of this apartment and there was this kid that gave me like this guy who's a punk, like it, you know, gave me this like nasty look or whatever. And I got into the car and the whole day started like that. And, and he pulls up behind me out of traffic. I was like the dead of winter back in New York and, uh, <laughs> He kind of looked, he had his system going, you know, back when people used to bump the system. And um, he kind of gave me, he gave me like the finger or whatever. And I got out of the car and I walked back and he got out and uh, I picked up a piece of ice off the ground and I whacked it over top of his head and like beat him right up at the traffic light. Pretty good. Got back in the car and like went to the mall. So I go to the mall like with my friends and uh, my buddy at the time had like basically stole a bunch of like had a bunch of stolen VCRs and Back when there was VCRs and they were worth money like my buddy had stolen and had him in the back of this car um, And we got in a high-speed chase with the cops later on that evening um, I jumped out of the car and ran away and my buddy took off and totaled the car it was on the news He went in the windshield. He was a tough guy busted the window out got away He's 16 You know, we're like teenagers. And I go back to the apartment we were living at. Well, luckily, I just got changed, got showered up. I I mean, they were like looking for me dogs, everything, the whole deal. I'd never been so cold in my life. I get back to the house, I get out of the shower, I sit down on the couch, and it's like boom, boom, boom. All the cops are there. And I just like, they traced the VCRs back to the address to the whole thing. And I mean, I didn't know about the VCRs, me in the trunk or whatever. So I just played stupid. They're like, hey, kid don't you leave this house. I'm like, you got it, sir. And they had like a squad car out there. Well, of course I climbed up on the roof, right. <laughs> Took off and, uh, ended up, uh, you know, that's when I left, I split and I knew some guys that were, uh, um, my, it was on the news. I met, linked up with my buddy, got with my friend, you know, and told him, paid him some money to take us down to Miami to these guys that I'd met who had been traveling around the country selling mescaline. I didn't even know them i had nowhere to go i was terrified because now we're wanted by the cops and so um yeah i didn't come home for five years jesus yeah and so when i did get home uh i got uh um i was home for like a couple days and i saw my parents for the first time like i think i saw them once over those years and um did you have warrants out for you oh yeah, yeah they got me right there oh okay so uh they busted in my parents house take me down whatever the whole thing my uncle's an attorney at the time and I had like kind of turned my life oh well I was trying to turn my life around at this point and uh so I go back to line work <clears throat> I start doing that and um did you go to prison or jail jail yeah but it but at this point everybody had pled out that was in trouble and two of my friends had did time nobody snitched on anybody everyone kept their mouth shut my one buddy did two years the guy that crashed the car so uh, I think you know whatever I served uh, 45 days and um I uh um got in a fight in there caught another charge uh, with a guy was in New York
1: like county jail yeah yeah in upstate or like upstate New York City. City okay yeah.
0: and so uh so here I am, like, thinking, like, my life is, like, over, dude. And, like, so I'm in there, and I get in a fight with this dude over Jerry Springer. <laughs> freaking, he, <laughs> there was a toothbrush. There was a toothbrush for turning the channel, okay? And he was, like, on the phone rapping to some girl, and I walk over and I change. He's like, yo, I'm watching that. I'm like, Pff. I mean, before I could even finish my Pff, <laughs> this dude <laughs> pounded me, all right? Like, threw me, and I was, of, I was inside of a trash can. He hit me so hard. Like, a prison trash can's not good. And and I got up and I walked in the back and there was this guy that came up to me and like my nose was bladed and I'm everyone's yelling and uh he's like, Hey brother He's like, You can't let that happen I was like, Man, I kind of feel like we're outnumbered in here (laughs) And he's like, I got you, brother So I was like I'll never forget (laughs) I took like a big swallow and I walked up there right in front of everybody. There's probably forty or fifty dudes and I would just said a bunch of things uh really intense i'm like you're gonna come over here <laughs> so you're gonna like kneel down and apologize to me i said well, i was terrified to be honest this guy was huge and he came over and took a swing at me and i just so happened to kind of slip it and i and i hit him with like an overhand and he tripped actually and bonked his head on the bed the steel bed frame And when he did, like blood in his head opened up and I climbed on top of him, I don't remember the rest, but I remember getting beat by the prison guards like pretty bad. Then they put me like into real prison. I was like an annex building. So uh, I'm in there, Uh, before the charge came up, I get out. I'm like really lost, to be honest with you. I was like lost in my life. You were like 20? Yeah, and uh, I was miserable and I turned 21. And uh, I started doing line work and I, I ended up uh, buying a truck and getting back into that business. And I uh, started playing drums again in the ska band that uh, some guys I would known and they were touring. And I was kind of really starting to make a lot of money and I was kind of getting on the good path. I'd moved back. And then um, I was on a telephone pole on September 11th in Queens, New York, when the first plane hit the World Trade Center. Wow. I was about 60 feet up on a railroad pole actually is what they call them. I was putting in a power supply and um did you see it i just the smoke okay. um and i came down and you know that that tower had fallen i was there i was in i was when tower seven collapsed i was probably 150 yards from it holy fuck i had found a dead police officer at that point um that had gotten buried underneath his car and um you know i went in there i went from queens into the city because i thought america was like under attack i didn't you know i mean what am i going to do like run around and like I don't know, play the drums on people's heads or something like but that was the kind of person I was. And I went there and I remember, um, after climbing inside the world trade center all night, um, I'll never forget it. And, and matter of fact, it's one of the most profound memories of my whole life, uh, sitting there the next morning on the East river and I was crying and I was the kid guy I grew up with my whole life. And I had had all these experiences and all these things, And I used to be embarrassed to talk about these things like back in the day because I cared what people judged me or whatever thought about me. I don't give a fuck. So I'm like, I sat there and here I was. I was like, my buddy looked at me and he goes, what are we going to do? And I remember it was September 11th and I was sitting there and I was crying. I was crying for so many reasons. And I said, I'm going to fucking kill whoever did this. And my buddy looks at me and he's like, um <laughs> what it, we're gonna be okay, dude. Like he was a total skater, like frosted tips, you know? And uh so I went down I like uh I keep working, you know, I keep doing line work, whatever. The contracts get canceled because of nine eleven, all this stuff. The war starts kicking off and uh I decide I'm gonna go down and join the army. <laughs> um and uh they wanted to put, you know, I want to be a ranger, all these other things. And literally I'd gone there so many times the army there was, there's so many people joining the military at the time. And, uh, the Navy guy was like, not really filling up. <laughs> and he was kind of fat and like baldish and like the guy that got me. And, uh, I ended up going with this other recruiter. Funny enough, apparently the recruiter like listened to like the podcast or something. was like, well, I'm not fat and bald. I'm like, I know, but the initial <laughs> dude that was there was fat and bald. And he was like carrying junk food bag. Um, of like McDonald's or something, and he's like, Hey, I keep seeing you here, dude. And he shows me like a CJ Caracas video or something, like yeah. a, dudes and flutter kicks and doing all the shit. And I was like, I'd never heard of the Navy SEALs, like, I didn't know what they were. And I just looked and I was like, Heavy metal music, like dudes, like, blowing. Shit. I was just like, These are the baddest dudes on the planet, like, I want to be a part of it. So I bought into it, and they're like, Uh, you have a felony, like. <laughs> you have a felony assault charge that was never processed. Like you have to get like a waiver and this and that. Like, and so I wrote a letter to the judge. Uh, um, and, and I said, like, I've turned my life around and all these kind of things. And like, I was there at the world trade center and like my nation has been attacked and I want to do something. And like, I'm not that person anymore. And, and the judge gave me a Noel proceed, which means, like, not enough evidence to convict. It was for a fight that I would gotten into with this, like, 40-year-old dude. And, I mean, I really beat that dude up. Um, this is not the guy in prison? This is a separate no, guy? No, it's a separate guy. And he, um, I'll never forget it. I mean, I was, like, 17 years old, and the guy, like, he was this, like, construction work guy, guy's, like, BMW. And I remember he, like, he looked at me. He's like, you little punk bitch, he called me. And I remember I, like, turned around, like, for no reason. And I turned around, I looked at the guy. And he just looked at me. He's like, it's little pieces of shit like you in the world. He says to me, and before he could finish his words, pretty much every piece of hate I had in my life, I took out on that guy in the hood of his car. His grill, his face. Like, I mean, I was, like, went crazy. Well, I skipped bail is what happened was. (laughs) I got picked up, like, six months later. Uh, For having an underage container and he had gotten run over by a bus and killed. Oh shit. Yeah And um, this is after the fact. Yeah, this was after the fact So what happened was they knew I was like guilty, but like there was nothing to prosecute so the judge wrote a thing and gave me uh, Something so I could go into the military so I provided to my recruiter. I got the waiver uh, And I joined the military Uh, and obviously I'm sitting here today like it changed my life that judge wrote that letter and, um, you know, I don't have one regret in my life. Nothing. Zero. Had, had you uh, swam much before you joined
1: the Navy? No,
0: no. So was, no. I started figuring all this kind of out later because I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a curious person. I'm self-educated. You know, I, I read. And so I started getting these like Navy seal books from the library. Like uh, matter of fact, Kirby Harrell was like my first master chief. He was in uh, the book Hunters and Shoers Vietnam Master Chief. (laughs) And I had like, or I was like, oh my God. Um, And I really like learned about the legacy. And this is the harmful thing for me is that I'm like, loyalty's my game. Loyalty's my game. And uh, that's why I roll with a, a smaller circle of people in my life. Loyalty's my game. And I think it's a gift when you have a loyal tribe, a real loyal tribe and uh you know that's what i like really gravitated towards about the seal teams you know what i later came to find out is like half you know so many guys especially today now are just attacking each other and they hate each other and i'm like if it was like it was back in the day i believe like the seal teams could be like leading this nation (laughs) i mean to be totally honest with you like they could be providing solutions insight Uh, but, uh, unfortunately it's divided and it's conquered. Um, but you know, that's what initially drew me to it was his brotherhood. And so I read every single book I think that was ever written about the SEAL teams, uh, before I went in and let me tell you something, I figured out how to swim. Yeah. Uh, and it was... like I figured it out and uh it was cool it was uh it was uh it changed my entire life like everything you know I mean I started reading about the constitution I started learning about my country in a different way and um it was a uh yeah it's like something to this day I mean it's like you know I'm not a career guy or anything like that I you know was in active duty and then went into the reserves and like uh primarily because I was like disenfranchised uh kind of with like Not getting to fight enough, essentially, is what it really was. Um, Because, you know, I felt like this was our nation's time to rise. Back then, people loved America. Yeah. You know, I, I think people forget, like, we were united. You could go in the grass station and everybody was together. And unfortunately, it takes crisis for us to, like, lean on each other. Um, and you know, I wish, I wish we could get back to that. I don't, I don't know if it's possible. It could be, I wish we could get back to that sans
1: crisis, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but, but I agree like that having a united enemy is about the only thing that will keep this country together, unfortunately. And, and right now it's like, we're our own fucking enemy. Like we yeah. hate, we hate each other more than we hate any, anything else, you know, and it's, it's fucking sad. But, uh, so from nine 11 until you went in, how long of a period was
0: that? uh 2003. Yeah, so okay. I uh from 911 I think uh so I was in class 254 um and uh yeah, so I, I was like I think May 2003 I went two th- 2003, I graduated Buds in 2006.
1: Yeah, that's wild. So I mean, I was an instructor when when you were there then. So I had yeah, so I had um
0: were you at 254?
1: I was, but um so I, I kind of floated between indoc and first phase depending on what was going on because uh, i i got yeah. valley fever which is why i ended up there so i lost like 40 percent of my lung capacity and fucked me all up and so they sent me to buds and so like the first year and a half i was there it was like
0: rick smithers
1: yeah uh, but you know, like i would be um you know with the brown shirt fucking rollbacks for a while and then yeah. I'd, I'd jump in with an indoc class and then i'd work part of first fit like i'd just kind of floated in the first phase in doc um you know i guess uh entity for you know the first half of the time that i
0: was there while i was trying to heal up and shit but um anyway yeah i mean i think like uh it was interesting because i really felt very ill-equipped you know at the time but actually life had equipped me i always said that i felt like really ill-equipped because i didn't take the traditional route um you know i you know, I didn't play sport. I wasn't, like, a popular. I didn't play sports. I wasn't, like, you know, the head of the team or Sally from the prom or, like, any of those kind of things. I just kind of always, like, blazed my own trail, uh, not saying what I did was right all the time.
1: Well, but I think the, the key to being successful in whether it's the SEAL teams or, or any special operations force, like, the, the, I think the most important thing is being able to fucking figure things out. Mm-hmm. you know, really it's like being handed a shit sandwich and figuring out a way around it. Like that, that's the, the most important aspect, you know, and growing up the way you did, obviously prepared you better than probably anything could have
0: Yeah, uh, hundred, you know, a hundred percent. It's like, I, I feel like so many times, like we get into, uh, into shame, like thinking about the past, you know, or like, you know, people think like, you know, or they try to hide who they were or whatever. And you know, I always use this example. Like, there's not one thing that I would change in my life. Yeah. There's just not, because that's an irrational thought. Like you wouldn't, you would have to hate who you are in this particular moment, right? Like, uh, and absolutely despise your, every aspect of your life would to be to change one thing. And I think like, I've really come to terms that the past can never and will never ever be altered. And to be able to reach back into the past, kind of like the story I just shared, Um, which I've never really shared um, to be truthful because I used to be like kind of embarrassed, right? Where I'm like, oh, I was like kind of a thug and all these kind of things. But you know what? That's just the truth. And the truth is like whatever has happened and whatever is happening now, when you can reach into the past and remember all your experiences, but without the emotional charge, then you can gain wisdom. And wisdom is what we're missing. We're taught like, oh, the past, we want to alter it, or this shouldn't have happened, or this happened to me, and I'm the victim of this. Like, I mean, it's it's a waste of your life because then the future conditions from doing that get created, create more of the very thing that you don't want by, you know, wishing and hoping that, you know, this stuff didn't happen, or going back and constantly regurgitating it. And it's like, you know, I tell people, I'm like, listen. If something happens to you and you become a, um, let's say you get in a car accident, right? And you're pissed off about it and you're kind of a broody person. So you brood about it and it kind of becomes a habit for like six, eight weeks. Then the next year you're still doing it. Well, that becomes like a straight up habit. And then it turns into a personality trait. And then you become the archetype of that energy. And now you're known as a negative person right or you're known as an angry person. I'm an angry guy. And you even have names for yourself, you know. The angry frog man, you know, the pissed off dude or whatever, and you become the thing. Um, you know, that's why I'm like I tell guys I'm like the past is our it's it's a wealth of knowledge. And if you can't get any of that knowledge, you will be powerless in your life. None. Like, I reached back and I realized, like, ultimately, I was creating the conditions through my childhood and my life that I needed to learn about who I was as a person. I really did. You know, because I was already a man. When I went into, you know, when I went into Buds and all the things, like, I was a man. I, 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 I wasn't like... Afraid or anything like that. It was interesting I was judging myself because I saw all these guys that like had a lot better physical tools than me And you know, i like, you know, they had done the route and played for Texas A&M and done all these things and stuff like that I'm like, what am I? What am I but deep down inside? I knew I had been tested in life in situations that would break most people self-induced <laughs> self-induced <laughs> but like but now I can reach back And then when you are honest and vulnerable, like I just was, honest and vulnerable, you give permission to people to do the same thing. And what we need as a society is we need the truth and the truth sets us free. If everybody just stopped right now, right fucking now, just stop what you're doing and reach up into the invisible space, the fourth dimension, and began to stand and pull those things that you keep hidden down and speak your truth, the conditions of your life would change immediately. That's the nuclear weapon, is the truth. That's why everybody suppresses it, or they put so much shit out there that you can't figure out what the truth is. And that's why you have to learn how to trust yourself. But We're taught to be afraid of our own selves. And so we power, we cover ourselves in all this shit you know, thinking that is going to prevent us from the inevitable, which is we're all going to die. Everyone will die. Everyone listening to this podcast will die. But how you live on this earth is how you'll die because you have to learn how to do it. And in the learning how to die, you set yourself free from the things that you're doing to try to prevent yourself from the fear of the thing that's inevitable. So to
1: me, it brings up an interesting um, thought in my, uh, I guess, recollection of everything that you've uh, gone over thus far as it relates to, you know, your childhood equaling what you've become, right? And and agreed, like not having regrets is crucial. But I'm also curious, um, if you look at your childhood and and what it made you, right? And then you contrast that with the childhood that you're providing for your kids. Is there an element of kind of eustress and and purposeful struggle that you weave into your kids' lives so that they have a a healthy understanding in a similar fashion? Like, do you you design a certain level of hardship for them for that? Because I think, you know, it's a it's a fine line to walk of, you know, being a a good parent where like you can, you can do too much and the, you know, road to hell is paved with good intentions. How how do you navigate that? And and what do you do to try to replicate uh, some of those things?
0: Well, I mean, I think one of the biggest things, like same thing I see with the vets, is essentially that we we help people to death and we help them so much that they, um, with good intentions, that they never learn how to help themselves, right? So I don't need to create those conditions for my children because those conditions are the essence of life. I just don't pad them, right? So my daughter, my kids, I told them straight up, I'll never pay, I'm never buying you a car. No one's ever bought me a car. I bought everything and I worked for everything I have ever had in my life. Every single thing. I've done it. Um, I've worked every shit job you could ever even dream up in your mind. Um, all the, you know, all the things. So, and I've told them, I'll never buy you a car and, and I'll drive you to work, right? Because you'll never learn the value of what that car is. If you haven't invested any time into it, right? I don't, uh, I don't shield them from the truth. I don't shield them from the truth. The world is what it is, not my perception. Just what is. And remember, people say, "Well, what is truth?" Everyone's always like, "The truth, the truth, the truth, the truth." What the fuck is the truth? The universe, the sky, the, the I don't know, the UFO. Like, what's the truth, right? The truth is simply this: whatever has happened, and whatever is happening now, is the truth. To lie to them. And to not tell them the truth Is to do a disservice You tell your kids that Santa's gonna bring you Gifts through the chimney You're a fucking fool Because that's a lie The idea that somebody comes Because you behave a certain way Is gonna give you Free stuff If you act In a certain way You get free stuff That is a lie It's not true, people may say, oh, the magic. Okay, that's not what magic is. People say, well, then what's magic? Magic is vision plus action. You have to have the vision and then you have to act. And so I teach my kids to act on the vision that they create. I don't shield them. When I make a mistake, I sit down with my kids, I tell them, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I've done this, I've, been on, I've done this, I've done that. Like I own it, I, and I give them the permission to do the same. And how I move through my own life sets the example for what they're going to face. Because let me tell you, the conditions that we're creating right now for our children, if they don't have the tools that I'm talking about in the future, you can pencil it out. When you see the dissolving of, of, of gender, of economic of race, political structure, okay, technology and environmental catastrophes. If you were to pencil it out in an, in a mathematical equation, it's a reverse explosion and it's happening right now. And remember like it's the law, you know, I teach my kids about natural law, law of cause and effect. That's a law that children have to learn the law of cause and effect. Well, for every cause there's an effect and you're either the cause or you're the effect of it. Well, everyone's running around and they don't know it, they're the effect. They're the byproduct of the causers. And so when they learn really that the crowning jewel of it all is my actions. I have to get up and I have to act. I don't care how many cold plunge videos you watch and how many you know, breath work things you do, staring at the wall or whatever the thing is. I'm not knocking anything. I kind of can come across sarcastic, but I'm not. Um, you have to get up and you got to do it. You have to do. You have to live in a different way. You have to change. You have to put the fork down you got to get off the shit. You have to change. Like, otherwise, it doesn't matter. The incessant desire for information and to find out what's going on just creates more things to go on. So it's like teaching these laws to our kids and teaching them just like you think about societies, like Native American societies, egalitarian cultures. What did they do? Young men were raised up to be warriors, right? They were raised up to be brave. What does it mean to be brave? People think, oh, like, you know, you used to be like a tough guy or whatever. I wasn't brave. I was scared. I was scared of not being seen on this earth, of being lost in the sea of people, right? I was afraid. The hero, to, the hero and the coward feel the same thing. The hero and the coward feel the same exact thing. The difference is the hero acts. He stands up and is like, Whew. doesn't mean he's not feeling it and doesn't mean he doesn't feel afraid, but he doesn't let it control him. And so like to teach our children, you, they have to learn the lessons that life has to teach them and you cannot shield them from that. And people are like, I don't want to screw up my kids. They're already in a screwed up world. Like it's already, (laughs) they're born into it. Give them the tools, sit down. I sit down and I talk to the kids and I tell them the truth and I teach them not to be afraid. What's afraid mean? What does it mean to have fear? Fear is nothing more than the same word for the unknown. Everything is selling you this idea that somebody has some secret sauce to prevent you from the unknown. You know, you see these boxers, they get up there, $25 million. This guy's trying to take food off my family's plate. What the fuck? What are you eating? Well, golden eagle eggs? Like, what is happening, right? You sit there, you can't even focus. You're on your cell phone. You can't even pay attention. Like, the truth is coming at you. It's pounding you in the face, and you're rejecting it, right? Under the illusion that you sell your power away to these institutions, financial security, not real financial security is fake. Marcus Aurelius. Why? It can be taken from you in an instant physical security. Okay. Well, Jiu jujitsu, karate chop you like, I do some, like the nunchuck Guess what? You zig, they zag. You're gone. I care what you know. Okay. You're on the border in Ukraine right now. You're zig, you zag. It's over. Okay? Physical security. What are all the things? The only thing you will ever own in this life and the most important and most valuable thing we give away. Prostitute. And that's our choices. Our choices are so powerful that they terraform the planet. But if you can't think and realize that your thoughts are creating the conditions you're experiencing... You're making choices that enrich and empower other people that build the prisons around you. You're providing the bricks. You're providing the ammo for the gun that's sticking in your own forehead. You're loading it. So it's like to sit down and say, hey, look at the, you know, the Constitution. Take that. It's the right document. Hey, people should be able to do whatever they want as long as it doesn't infringe on another person to do the same. America went to war over a 2% tax over tea. Over tea. Do we even drink tea anymore? I, even like, you know I mean, Is that even like, I should be the first veteran tea company. <laughs> Murder, the <laughs> oblong blend. Um, so, you know, like we have to sit down and get really honest with our kids. And then we have to set the example by how we live because your words, yeah, words are powerful. Sure. You feel them. But how we act, changes the conditions and they see. And part of that is getting radically honest where we are right now in this moment as a species, kind of at the end of the developmental processes of what it means to be a genetic human being. Cause I'm telling you right now, whether it's tomorrow or 25 years from now, or we're 80, this whole thing is going to implode yeah. on itself because of why the choices that we're making in the present moment. What, uh, in, in terms of kind of the big picture
1: of how you view setting that example, what does that look like? You know, for somebody saying, Hey, that sounds fucking great. How do I do that? What, uh, what do you, what do you tell them? And, and are those concepts or principles that you teach and, and go over in the program?
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I'm more about getting people to think. Because I, I'm not going to be there. I can't think for people, you know. Um, but all the things I'm sharing, guys, like and subscribe. I'm going to go online. It's six <laughs> ninety nine a month. I'm going to give you all the secret truths to cure you. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's become, right? What I'm talking about is like, it starts with micro changes, right? Like, how am I showing up in the present moment? I've been kind of saying this the whole time. But like, you got to remember the future is a concept. And people, if anybody wants to argue with me with that, here's what we'll do. I'll get a giant pot, I'll put your whole family in it with a giant burner with a handle underneath it, and I'll say, tell me what tomorrow's gonna be. Write it down, okay. Okay, if that doesn't happen, then I'm gonna pull this lever, okay? So the guy says, deal. Wakes up in the morning, slips on his sock, falls down the stairs and breaks his leg. Future's a concept, okay? It's a concept. It's created by who we are in the present moment. So you have to stop and evaluate your life right now. If you're waking up and the first thing you do when you wake up is check your cell phone, you're wrong. You have to spend time with yourself. You have to get your mind, your body, and your spirit in alignment. In alignment with what? Truth. You're out of alignment. People don't know what that means. Look it up. Alignment. So you start with tiny little things. Okay, everybody's running around right now buying all this stuff, doing all these things, they're eating, you know, I don't know like Norwegian oats and shit and they're like they're they're doing all of these things right now, right? And they're missing the greatest metaphor, which is know thyself. Know thyself. Not know your identity or know what experiences you've been through, but know yourself. So, what are some things we can do? Well, the first thing that we teach in the program is radical honesty. It doesn't mean like run around telling everybody the entire truth, but radical honesty. See, it's a whisper. What happens is you really know, but what happens is you're scared of what may happen if you stand in truth. So then you have to ask yourself the question what expectations am I tied to? Right? What expectations, what outcomes? It lives in fear. It's why, it's why in Nazi Germany, they, they whisked the neighbors away and put them in camps and nobody said anything. and Everybody kind of was, why? They were scared of what other people thought. What might happen? you know, The conditions that were created. So it starts with a practice with spending time with yourself. And you begin to learn to listen. And listen and silence are the same word, just jumbled up. Same letters listen and silence. And then you begin to hear. And when that knowing or that intuition comes to you, you have to act. And if you don't act because you don't have courage, you need to figure out why. Well, the reason why is because what are people going to think about me? Well, if you're ruled by the opinions of others, you have to change. You have to change right? If you're ruled by the perception of what people may think about you or the fear of losing your job and you won't be able to go to your office prison anymore, right? You have to be willing to stand in those truths, And it starts as just a tiny little baby step, spending time with yourself, figuring out what that is. Maybe it's sitting in quiet. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe it's changing the things. Maybe it's no longer taking hot showers. Maybe it's a screen time, or maybe you get home at five o'clock, you never turn the cell phone on until seven o'clock the next morning. It doesn't matter why I'm going to be engaged with the most important thing in my life, my family and myself. Okay. Maybe it's living in a different way. Maybe it's looking at your kitchen cabinet and saying, golly, like we have four blenders. We have four blenders. We have six couches. We have five TVs. Maybe we don't take too much. These are all just suggestions. But like it all starts with radical honesty because deep down inside, I know that the power of the good mind is inside of every human being's heart. But we don't listen. And we ignore it. And we're getting the byproduct of what we see from not listening is what's called ignorance we ignore what's there and that's when you sin against yourself and sure some people have airplanes and some people have this and some people have that but at the end of the day you're here for a reason so we didn't just arrive here okay that's a nice little trick when you're like in your 20s and you think oh we're just we're just a blob cuz it gives you an excuse to go to the bar and like get as many chicks as you want because nothing matters. We're all just plasma. Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you something. There's a real reason here. And we're here during this epoch, an epoch, a time we are in an age. This is an age and we're in an epoch. Seek out knowledge because if you don't have any knowledge, I'm not talking about knowing stuff, talking about knowledge, you don't have any knowledge. You have no power. You're powerless. And so, you know, for me, Begin with these guys by removing all of the comforts that trap you. Incessant cell phone use, porn, you know, movie porn, fame, dislikes, all the things, all the things you become addicted to. Get rid of those things first, right? If you have, I don't know, more than 18 pairs of shoes, you have a problem. You're taking too much from who? Our mother a life-giving force that we're going to hand back, live in a different way, right? So those are just simple things that you can begin to do, standing in truth. You'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. From what? Yourself. I keep saying that. From you. So finding those spaces, pushing it away, not taking too much, standing in truth, and learning about courage. And then once you get there, you start to teach other people to do the same, and you grow and the thought revolution begins because your thoughts are creating conditions and we can create new conditions right now in this moment. The future can be different if we're willing to change.
1: I, I, uh, I love everything you're saying, um, in terms of the, the program that first, you said it's two weeks of kind of a detox of.
0: Yeah. So there's no, in the program, like, you know, if you want to like, you know, I tell people like you like the program is that's a digital detox so the program is there's no dairy there's no cheese there's no sugar there's no honey there's no bread no noodles nothing it's meat and vegetables water and black coffee just until noon you shouldn't incessantly consume caffeine it's not good uh, I take it from chief hypocrite I know he's drink like two pots a day like first thing in the morning like terrible um, and then we remove all hot water Why do I need hot water? Human beings never had hot water. It's modernism. And it also teaches you, it breaks the resistance. So the very, if I had to pick one thing to tell people to do, whenever something comes up that you need to do and you feel resistance, I don't want to do that. You have to do it. Okay, That's the simplest practice. For instance, things will pop in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna get up in the morning, I'm like go for a run or whatever. And I wake up and there's like eight inches of snow on the ground. And I'm like, I have to do it. Why? Because if you don't, you lie to yourself. And then you get comfortable lying to yourself. Got it's like guys, for instance, like porn addiction is insane in the world. It's insane. Okay? So you sit there and you're like, oh, I'm not gonna like look at porn. Okay. And then you do it. And then you tell yourself, I'm taking a whole week off, not doing." it. But then you do it. What happens is, is that you, can, you literally have no power. You're, the, the material self rules you in every aspect because it doesn't believe you. I'm not going to eat junk food this week. It's Timmy's birthday on Wednesday. Uh, by the way, who cares, <laughs> right? It's Timmy's birthday on Wednesday. Timmy gives a shit. Yeah, well, you you know what, Timmy, (laughs) Timmy, (laughs) Timmy, you've got a huge ego. So like it's Timmy's birthday and you say, oh, I'll have a piece of cake. Well, guess what you did? You lied to yourself. And then guess what happens? The next time you make a commitment to yourself, the self doesn't really believe you. "Ah, I'm going to go to the gym on Monday. Oh, Susie wasn't feeling good last night. You lied. So then you live a life of lies and then you let other people lie to you because they always tell you, ah, don't worry about it, bud. There's always another week, right? And you, you have no more juice. You have no more juice left. So you got to start leaning into all resistance because everything is like the death we see happening is a death by ease. No more happier. You're no more happy if you have $100 million or you have $500, okay? And you're living paycheck to paycheck. You, you're experiencing the same thing. You're experiencing the same exact thing. So we think like the freedom is like more stuff, more acquisite, more things, and it's wrong. The freedom is found by knowing yourself, which sets you free from the desire to have those things. I'm not saying don't have things and don't get stuff. That, that's okay. But like, it's not going to change the inside world because the inside world is creating the outside world. You're experiencing yourself that's what it is. So lean into the resistance and begin to stand in your truth. And if you can't stand in the truth, you have to find the reason why there's, you're tied to an outcome so much or an expectation or a social norm that now it's paralyzing you from living and doing what you're supposed to be doing. All dark sides of ourselves are created from our failure to accept social norms or being tied to expectations. I know. I do it sometimes. I'm like, I should say something. But then I think, what if this guy like never talks to me again and I think he's going to help a bunch of vets and that's not truthful. What am I tied to? I'm more concerned about the future projection of what an individual may or may not do that I don't stand in truth.
1: When when you say I should say something,
0: uh, an example would be what? Like, say, for instance, um, um, let's say you have a girlfriend. We'll use this analogy, right? Uh, everyone can relate to. Well, I don't know. Yeah, basically everybody can relate to, relate to nowadays age. So let's say you have a, you have a girlfriend, right? and she's, uh, um, he or she, okay, is, uh, I don't know. 300 pounds. Right. And you sit there and, and you're like, Hey, um, you sit down you tell them, I'm, I'm no longer attracted to you. And I want you to really make some life changes or this isn't going to be the direction of my life. Right. And you do it in a very loving and a kind way.
1: Which doesn't exist if you're, uh, talking to, to a significant other about their weight. Right?
0: Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> so what, 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 what may happen? I'm just, using that, this is a very superficial example. But what may happen is that person may never say something to the individual because they're afraid of hurting their feelings or offending them or maybe they're going to break up and leave them and they got a bunch of cars or maybe they even have a kid together and so they don't do it. And so then they go behind their back and they live in misery and they bitch and complain all the time and they never give the per- person the permission to change. Everything, the most important thing that I've like shared in this entire podcast will be that the highest state that we can achieve in this life is unconditional love. It's love without condition, loving every single person without condition that takes only the true warrior can do that.
1: How do you, uh, I guess, reconcile the, uh, I'm not attracted to you because you're 300 fucking pounds versus the unconditional love.
0: Well, listen, this, it's how you present the truth, right? Because there's a dark truth. The truth is you could walk up and say, you're a freaking meat balloon. I still love you, but I'm not attracted to you. Right, but it's how you do it because what you do is you give them the permission to rise. You're not attached to an outcome. Let's say, for instance, like you're in a relationship and you're not, uh, um, you're not sexually satisfied. That would destroy a girl right? if you were with her. But to sit there in radical honesty out of love and sit there and say, we have to elevate our relationship and we have to make changes. We have to begin to grow together. And these are some things that, you know, um, that I'm really feeling that are very real. And I want to share with you now, two things could happen. One, she could grab a frying pan, actually numerous outcomes. (laughs) She could grab a frying pan and crack you over the head. Um, two, she could, um, I don't know, get a lawyer 20 minutes later and, and divorce you and take all your belongings and resolve the business partnership. Um, or three, she could sit there and cry and look at you and say, thank you. And I'm going to change. I'm going to rise and we're going to do this together. And next thing you know, it's the most beautiful experience that you've ever had because you've given the permission to be vulnerable for that person to grow. Well, you can't really do that until you've done it with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself first, and you have to learn how to do that. It doesn't mean that I always do it, and I've got to figure it out. I want I want to be the first to say like I'm not saying I have the answers or whatever. I I don't want don't to come across that in any way. But what I'm saying is that this is what we're being called to do as a species right now.
1: Do you remember the last time you lied to yourself?
0: Yeah, just recently. Um I um Sold my wife's car uh, and bought this like old Suburban so that I could like liquidate our money to buy some equipment for the ranch. And uh, I searched all around the state and I was moving super quick and I found a company in Missouri. Uh, I get in touch with them and go back and forth and negotiate and check all the business licenses, change where commerce, all the things. Basically transfer my life savings for this heavy equipment uh and the company that was a real company had been hijacked by some uh offshore uh hacker group and um i lost everything that i had and um (laughs) like when it happened uh the guy called me on easter and everything was being shipped and i mean they were great i told him five kids it's like i mean this is everything we had but here's the thing i was gonna go to missouri and i was gonna pick it up now of course i've done all the admin things the fbi or whatever it's gone, money's gone. And uh, uh, what had happened was I, want, I was getting a good deal and all this stuff and I had done the due diligence. They had hijacked an existing company. So it was an actual company. I just was like, there was a middleman that had kind of got me. Like before. a ransomware kind of thing or? Right, but it was actually, it's a group. They've, okay. they've, they've extorted uh, millions and millions of dollars from people doing this, uh, so anyway. <laughs> Uh, and they're great. You talk to your family. You get to know them. All the things. You know, like I'm, I mean, it's a huge purchase for us, right? Skid a little backup. Anyway, sell my wife's car. All the things. Buy this like suburban, fifteen grand because we're like we're simplifying everything. I don't want any, any new cars. I don't need anything except for motorcycles. I don't need anything new. Like we're just we're living in a different way, right? And so, what happened was the guy called me back and said, "Hey, I talked to the boss. We're gonna do free shipping." When he said that to me, I got an electrical shock that hit me. And I felt weird about it. And my wife's like, I don't know. Like, I have a weird feeling about that. Like, it's just weird. It's there's something. And I started feeling it. So I went online, of course, to verify. Instead of trusting myself, I went online and I verified all the stuff. Chamber of Commerce, Secretary of State Business Filings. But I knew. But I wanted the good deal. We have all these projects. I built this like 66 foot by 17 foot geothermal greenhouse. I sold my like pride and joy 75 Ford. We're living in a different way. Literally really doing it. Uh, Food, water, and shelter first. My buddy R.C. Carty talked about on the podcast. Food, water, and shelter, community, your tribe. That's it. How are we living? How are we showing up in the world? Well, I knew it but I override it with information and I lie to myself. I go against myself. The very thing that I talk about all the time I did and it cost me all the money. Okay, well, I'm not upset in any way. I accept it because to be upset even in that moment when I knew I'd been robbed for a substantial amount of everything I had saved, okay, I I knew that the past couldn't be altered, and so I accepted it. And I said, "What's the lesson in this?" And the lesson came to me, you know, uh, a couple nights ago when I left on the trip. You know, my wife was like, or I was here when it happened. Actually, I was. uh, My trip had just started uh, when we knew, and uh, I uh, I really realized that that's a very cheap lesson to learn that no matter what the external circumstances are, that I have to trust that voice no matter what. So if, if something, I'm not saying like, you know, every like fat girlfriend or boyfriend go tell them like, you know, like they (laughs) suck at sex or anything. Okay. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if it comes to you and you feel it, you need courage. You need the heart of a warrior that leads with his heart. You need that heart of a warrior to stand up and not be afraid of the outcomes of the expert. And I was tied to an outcome. I wanted to get all these projects done. It was a really good deal. I I thought I could do this and had an attachment and I could maybe sell this. Or I had all these other things rather than listening to myself. So ultimately I knew I was being robbed. But I used my mind to reinforce my own correctness that I wasn't. And so that's called sinning against yourself, right? Well, that's what I did. So like, that was very recent. So I had to own it. And I just had, I had to own it. I I talked to FBI guys. Like, I'm like, I'm not upset. Like, I'm, I'm not upset because I did it. I knew. He's like, what? I was like, I knew I had an intuition and I ignored it. So did my wife, even stronger than me. Uh, but I went online, I verified it. Everyone, trust, but verify, right? KGB actually said that, not Ronald Reagan. He copied it. Um, but uh, um, so that was a lesson where I lied to myself. I lied to myself because I was more tied to an outcome that didn't exist in the future. Like I talk about the future a concept. <laughs> Let me tell you something, it is. And I violated my own thing that I always say, I even use this analogy, you're in the boardroom, everyone's meeting together, it's high pressure, the deal's going down. Jim, we just need your signature. And you reach for the pen and someone's like, this is not good, I shouldn't do this. But everyone's staring at you and you're like, come on, Jim, champagne's ready, Jim. And you're like, oh, fucking sign it, (laughs) right? And all (laughs) of a sudden they're like, company's over, bombed. And you're like, I knew it. Sure you did, Jim. You always say that after the fact, right? Okay, because we have to trust that voice. That's my point of all of this. You have to trust it. And if you can, not you need courage. You need to get some courage. And maybe that starts by getting up in the morning and having some courage to stand in a cold shower for two minutes because that's something that you can physically do, okay? Because you're that decrepit and weak, And it's okay, I've been weak like that too. But that, I mean, that's a simple thing where you're like, you have to start at baby steps. What you're learning to do is the first crawling of what it means to be a human. What does it mean to be a human? That's what I'm talking about. It means to participate in creativity. Life is your curriculum. Life is the curriculum. And your creativity is the one that moves through that curriculum and, and then you fulfill a purpose and then you learn how to die and then you're free from all the things that you were afraid of and it doesn't matter. That That's what we're being asked to do right now in this time and maybe there's one person, maybe there's two people. I have a tribe of people that are living in a different way. True people and when you go to war out of love, you can't fucking stop anyone like that because there's nothing to take you can't take my life if i'm not afraid of losing it you walk in the woods and there's a bear there's nothing to take you can't kill me it won't kill you daniel in the lions then the lions won't kill you why he's not afraid of dying there's nothing to take zero so it's like okay if there's nothing to be taken from you, then you can stand in the truth because what prevents you from standing in the truth is the fear that what something would be taken from you. But when you absorb the fear from the unknown, this is when the revolution starts, the thought revolution. People start saying, no fucking thank you. Canceling the Netflix. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm living in a different way. Tiny little steps instead of one donut, instead of seven donuts this morning, I'm eating one. Maybe that's where you're at. Okay, get the one without the frosting. Here we go. (laughs) The, The no frosting donut, step one. That's fucking classic. I had all kinds of concrete in my neck and like was pretty tore up, and I got into the shower and there was like just blood pouring off of me, just little pieces of meat.